as I, as I get ready to speak about what I think uh, God has on my heart and what I think he wanted me to say to you today, that this has been, the topic of this message has been going on in my life for, for a bunch of months now. And so if you're anything like me, then I'm expecting, as I am talking, you, talking to you today about the, the topic at hand, that there is going to be resistance within you. As soon as, as soon as I start to get to, to some serious questions, you're going to say, I can't do that. That's not realistic. That's not something I can achieve in my life. Uh, God does not want that for me. And so I've been praying for this because that, that resistance, I, I want to invite you to enter into it and to respond to it. Because whenever in any area of our life, when we encounter these kinds of questions to ourselves, it is reminding us what we think is important. It, it, it is letting us know the things that we have to take apart, walls that we have in our relationship with God. So today's message is going to be completely countercultural. And I think that something that Jesus is calling all of us to. So you may have noticed there is an incredible amount of noise going on around us in our culture. Right? I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed this whenever I go out to, to eat anymore. Right? One of my favorite places to go to sit, to read, to, to type blogs, things like that is Panera. And if you've ever been to Panera, it's a bakery, you can get coffee there. If you've ever been there, they used to play uh, quiet classical music in the background. Right, And it was a great, that, that was perfect for me. It got my whatever left or right brain, I don't know the difference, but it got one of the sides of my brain distracted so I could, I could focus on something else. But as I was actually, I was in a Panera preparing for this message, not the one in Port Orange, another one. And as I was, as I was preparing, there was loud 80s music going on in the Panera. Now, I'm not against 80s music. I know 60% of just about every 80s song, so we can have karaoke sometime if you want. But the thing is, is it was distracting, and it was loud, and it was not an atmosphere that was conducive to, to thinking. It wasn't an atmosphere conducive to conversation. And, and you notice this everywhere we go now, that there is just, there is incessant noise. Well, we are prompted to activity all the time. In our relationships, we are, we are pressed to, to become enmeshed together where we, where we don't do anything apart for, from each other. And then the truth of the matter is, in all of these things, we're addicted to it, right? right? We need this. We need to be seen. We need to be heard. We need to be busy. We need to be affirmed. We're, we're getting something from this. This noise that's going on all around us is, is there because it's providing something. And, and so in all of this, we are confronted constantly by, by messages. We're, we're confronted by messages about what who other people think we are, about what the, the media thinks we are and how we're important, about our workplace, about government. We, we are confronted by messages of how we are seen by others. And we, we internalize that and we, we, we process that as part of why do we matter and what is my purpose. You know, we're, we're constantly told that to, to be leading a, a, a good life, we've got to be productive, right? We've got to be producing. We've got to, we've got to have our list of things and we've got to do it. Or we have to have all the answers, right? We can't, we can't enter into anything without knowing the outcome or knowing what's going on. And what makes all of this even worse is most of us carry around in our pocket 
the ability to be connected and have more noise anywhere, anytime we want. Right? Our phones connect us to our, our work 24-7. They connect us to relationships to other people 24-7. I can stream music 24-7. My daughter watches YouTube videos in the car almost 24-7. So we have this noise all around us. And we don't always seem to question, is this a good thing? Is this healthy? What, what are the consequences? And I know myself... I take noise to another level, right? I'm watching TV, and what am I doing while I'm watching TV? I'm watching something on my phone at the same time. So I've got noise while I am participating in my noise. And don't, I know I'm not alone, so that's fine. I'm not judging you, but I know that we, we all do this. So here's, here's what we're forgetting and overlooking. Mankind, all of us, we were created in the image of God. Right? Our, our identity, we were just singing this in a song a moment ago, our identity, our dignity, our purpose was intended to come to us through that image that God placed within us. Now, if you've ever opened up the, the first page of the Bible, you see early on in the whole story of, of mankind, things took a, 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 a turn for the worst from the way God intended thing, things to go. Mankind decided, you know what, I don't need God for my, my worth or for my image. I am going to press on on my own. And we get the story of Adam and Eve and how they turned their back on God. And they, they went their own way in, in this effort to, to find their own sense of dignity and identity. And so in the meantime, while we're not looking to God anymore, we're surrounded by the relational systems and the power systems that are, that are sending us the messages about, that, about where we can find wholeness. So there is a battle going on for our soul. When we are in Christ, we experience this, this conflict between our old nature and new nature. Yeah. This, this does not stop. We cannot not be aware of this. And this is rooted in our identity. When we're disconnected from God, we're disconnected from, from who we truly are as well. And, and even when we're connected to God, the truth leaks. We are very, very forgetful people. If you want to know how forgetful, even when God works in our lives, it's like a what have you done for me lately? Don't believe me? Sometime today or this week, read the book of Judges. It's a short book in the Bible in the Old Testament, okay? And in the book of Judges, you see the story of the nation of Israel that God has set apart, that he has, he has given them their own land, and they are constantly forgetting the God who placed them where they were. And you, you read over and over, this pattern keeps happening, that, that the, the Israelites, they, they forget about God and they do their own thing, and then they end up in a mess and they're crying out, God, where are you? And then he says, okay, you're my people, I hear you. And he, he enters in, he sends a judge, somebody to help them and to, to, help, uh, to help them out of their trouble. And once they're out of trouble again, the whole pattern starts over. They forget whose they are. And that is the picture of us, the truth of who we are and why we matter and what we're put on this world for and whose we are is constantly being forgotten by us. So we have to always be reminded that we have to keep our face pointing toward the light, right? Toward God. Our image needs to be fed that. And so 
we have to have an interior life that is connected to, to the creator. So here is, I have an object lesson today. I don't do this that often, but I'm, I'm really trying to improve as a teacher. So let's just, let's just pretend this jar of water that has some sand in it, this is your interior life. And so as we get all messed up and we're busy and we're hearing all sorts of messages, notice what happens. The sand is rolling through the water and the, the water gets cloudy and murky. And so then it becomes impossible to see anything. And so if this is our interior life, if when we're busy and we're getting all of these competing messages about who we are and why we're here and what's going on and, and we're distracted all the time, it becomes impossible to see God or sense God or hear from God in the midst of all this craziness. Amen. Okay, so this is what's going on inside us pretty much on a typical day. Right? We get up, we got the kids, we got to go to work, we, uh, we plug in the radio, we're watching TV, we're doing whatever, and all the time we are not focused, we lose our focus on what we need to. We can't hear from, from God through this. So we are moving in a thousand different directions. We've got all of this noise, we've got anxiety, and we've got our expectations, and we're distracted, and we're just, we're inside, we are chaos. Even if on the outside we have an image of we've got things put together, on the inside, our soul and our mind and our body, we are completely stern, stirred up. And so then my question, and then we're going to turn our attention to the topic at hand today, is through all of this, how do you hear from God? We want to hear from God. We say we want to hear from God. But how does that happen when this is what's going on inside me? Another thing we do is we use this as a shield. Maybe I don't want to hear from God. Maybe I don't want to confront the truth of who I really think I am at, a, at, a, at an interior level. Maybe I don't want to have to be confronted or answer the questions or all these messages that go on uh, inside me. So I just stay busy and distracted and I keep myself stirred up so that I, I don't have to even think about it. We'll come back to the object lesson a little later. I'm going to set it down now. It was fun to play with it, though. <laughs> so here's what I want us to be aware of as we go through this message today. That God, he is always present. It is our awareness of that, that fact that changes. Okay? God is with us. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is inside of you every second of every day. It's your awareness of that. And when we're trying to find him in the chaos, that's when, that's when we miss it. So there are three underutilized disciplines of the, the spiritual life, the life in Christ, that we don't talk about, we don't practice too much, but that I want to talk to you today about them. And they are the disciplines of solitude, silence, and stillness. And this is where we get countercultural. Because these are not things that, that the world, particularly our culture, press us into. In fact, our culture is pressing us away from, from these things. Now, before we get going, I just want to let you know what a discipline is. I mean, because we kind of associate the word discipline with, with punishment or discipline with things that are, that are no fun. Uh, in, in, as a spiritual word, a discipline is something that invites us into, into self-examination and into, into deeper intimacy with God. Right? And, and common disciplines, one that you probably get talked about a lot, are reading the Bible or Bible study and praying or being in community with, with each other. And those are fantastic things. And there's, there's lots of spiritual disciplines that, that we could talk about. But I want to talk about these three. And in addition to that, a discipline is not a way to earn approval. 
right? It's a task to check off a list so we can say, hey, me and God, we are okay. So in the morning, we are, uh, I got to read my Bible today. I got to have 15 minutes in prayer. And now I've done that. God and I are tight. Now I can go on and get to the busyness and the things that matter in my day. Okay, disciplines are not a way to prove who you are. It, disciplines are not a way to get results. When I, I, I did a Google search uh, about some spiritual disciplines and the topic of fasting came up, and fasting usually is going without food. And, and in, in the topic of looking up fasting, I saw these articles and things about fasting for weight loss, fasting to reduce blood pressure. Right? So we take spiritual disciplines, and now instead of wanting to connect with God, what we want to do is we want to get some other results out of them. If I'm going to fast, then I, I want to lo lose weight from that. Okay, So there might be great benefits. I mean, that might be a benefit of fasting, but that's not why we enter into these things. So solitude, silence, and stillness, these are called disciplines of abstinence. Okay? They are disciplines of denying ourselves. And I want to read a verse from 1 Peter, where 1 Peter's talking, uh, or Peter is talking about this in his first letter. This is, uh, this is chapter 2, verse 11. It's going to be on the screen. I'm just reading it in the small print right here. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. So Peter is calling for his readers to abstain, to deny themselves. And so in a moment, he uses the word sinful desire. What are those? Like, what, why does that matter? But solitude is an umbrella discipline. Right? When, we, when we go to read our Bible and we do a little Bible study or we do our morning devotions, those tend to be best to be done when we're alone, when there's not the distraction and the noise of, of everything else going on. So we might have some time of solitude, but what I'm inviting us to and to consider is, do, is practicing solitude for its own benefit. Practicing silence as a discipline for its own benefit. What can we learn about ourselves and who we are in Christ and our connection to God through silence and solitude and, and stillness? So solitude is refraining from interacting with people in order to be alone with God and to be found with him. So in solitude, we are making a decision that we are going to disconnect from others, that we are going to, we're going to unrelate ourselves so that we can have a time where we are alone, where it's just me and it's just God. Now, I'm not talking about loneliness. You might feel lonely. Pardon me for a second. fighting this cough. So I thought it was gone, but maybe not. So solitude is not loneliness. Okay. You can feel lonely when you're around people. Loneliness is an inner emptiness. When we are craving something and particularly in relationship that we are not getting. Solitude is inner fulfillment. It's completeness, it, completeness, knowing that I am whole because God is with me and I don't need anything else. Silence is not speaking in being in a quiet place in order to quiet our minds and whole self and attend to God's presence. In silence, we, we forego stimulation. We take the earphones out. We turn the TV off. We, we get somewhere where there is no noise about us. We ask the kids to sit down for a little while. We avoid hopping on Facebook, right? Because I know 
I used, to, I used to have all the social media apps on my phone. And get, you get to a moment, even at a traffic light, right, where you got two seconds to ponder what's going on in your life. And instead of doing that, what do we do? Pull out the phone, what's going on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all those things. As an aside, I, I, I am not purporting to be the, 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 the uber example of righteousness here, but three weeks ago, I deleted all the social media apps off my phone. I just finally made the commitment. I've been thinking about it for a while. Nothing for me, nothing has helped me become more sensitive to the presence of God around me than not having those things to turn to. Not being cluttered in my mind, not comparing myself to what is going on in other people's lives, not uh, not listening to all the messages. For me, that has been revolutionary. And it took a long time. I had a lot of resistance as I mentioned before of deleting those apps. That might be a thing that, that works for you as well. Inner quiet requires that we have a heart that, that wants to listen to God. Amen. Right? A lot of times we go into our relationship with God and we go jabbering and jawing and blabbering on. How are we going to hear God through that kind of chaos? Stillness is ceasing the movement of the body in order to surrender to the authority and presence of God. So without noise and without busyness, without constantly having to be fidgeting, uh, we invite ourselves to be reflective of what God is saying to us. What are the lies that we are telling ourselves? How can we substitute truth for the things that we are believing? It's making an intentional effort to become aware of the presence of who God is. <coughs> And maybe become aware of all the things that we are trying to avoid. So in the verse from 1 Peter that I read earlier, he, he said, abstain from sinful desires. What are, what are sinful desires? What are those? How do I know a sinful desire from a good desire or something that's godly or that's going on in my life? Now, if, if you've heard me speak before, most of you have. Some of you have read my book. You, you know this next little bit, so I'm just going to go through it to catch anybody up. There are questions that we use to feed our identity, to feed who we think we are and how we matter and how we stack up to everybody else around us. The first one of those is what do people think of me? Just to let you in a little insight, if you didn't know this about me, this is the one that I am, I sometimes get captive to. I get really concerned about what people think of me and how I'm perceived, and I can use that as a judge of who I am. That's the spiritual battle that I fight a lot of times. And so what do people think of me? This is a need for affirmation. And how we feel about ourselves gets reflected to us by, by the people around us, by the relationships that we're in, and whether people are happy with us or not happy with us. And when, when you're concerned about what people think about you, you need praise or you feel responsible for other people's happiness. Another question that we use to feed our sense of who we are is, what do I do? This is the issue of per productivity or perfectionism, performance, having your status based on what you do or how much you do or who you do it for, and that builds up your sense of self. And the third question that we tend to default to and we get pressed toward is, what do I have? And whether it's having possessions or having all the answers or, or having growth or being seen as a change agent or a leader, what do I have becomes a way to, to measure who we are. So another way to put this is, uh, I, 
all of us are relationship person, people, role people, or results oriented. And you can be combinations of the three. I mean, I, 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 also, like, I also like results too, but my, my key place of, of brokenness here is relationships. So our sinful desires that Peter is talking about is when we try to answer these questions about who we are without God. When we leave him out of the, out of the equation, when we try to fulfill ourselves or create a sense of wholeness, looking to our relationships, our roles, or our results, those are our sinful desires. And sometimes they can look good, right? This is where we have this tension of the life, life we live. Are we doing things because we want people to be happy with us, or are we doing things because that's what God is calling us to do? The results can sometimes look the same. It's the motivation, it's the heart behind them that, that are different. So the disciplines of abstinence, solitude and silence and stillness, are about intentionally releasing our grip on what's defining you, giving up the things that become between us and God. And all three of these disciplines are related, quite honestly. I think that solitude and silence and stillness kind of, kind of go together in a, in a lot of respects. But I think our intentionality depends on what kind of person we are. And what I mean by that is this. If you're a what-do-people-think-of-me kind of person, if you're focused on relationships and you've got to be in relationship or you've got to have people happy with you or you're responsible for how other people are feeling, you might be a solitude person. This might be the thing that you have to intentionally seek. You've got to release your grip on those relationships. This, again, is something that I've been working toward in my life, and it's been really hard. Releasing grip, having time, making space, because there's a part of me that says, when I go to be alone, I'm being selfish, right? My, my wife needs me, my daughter needs me, my students need me, all, all sorts of people, all sorts of people need me. And that may or may not be true, but that's the battle that I fight when I, when, when I enter into the solitude. Now, I want to show you that there's a biblical base for all this. I know I've talked for a little while. I haven't mentioned much about Jesus or the Bible, and, and I, I, would, I would definitely be doing a bad service to you if I did not, uh, did not mention that. So I want to turn to Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew chapter 14, uh, you can read, uh, we're going to start reading at verse 22. Before where I'm going to read, this is where Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves, a couple fishes. And so you can imagine, as, as Jesus is performing this miracle and as he's teaching, there's going to be great acclaim, right? People are affirming Jesus. They want to now be his best friend, right? Because he can create food out, out of virtually nothing. So amidst all the clamor and all the people wanting to get a piece of Jesus at this point, here is what he does, and we read about it in verse 22. Immediately, okay, so immediately after this, immediately after people are starting to respond to him, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go out ahead of him to the other side. So the first thing he does is he says, I don't want the disciples to get a big head. I am going to put them in the boat. I'm pushing them off the shore. They're getting out of here. While he dismissed the crowd, so Jesus is now telling everybody, I'm, I'm God, I gotta go. See you later. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So instead of succumbing to the temptation of, there's all these people that are loving me, and I'm, you know, Jesus is fully human, he, he experiences the same temptations we do, so that felt good, right? It's good to be affirmed, it's good to be loved. 
And so to avoid that temptation, Jesus went by himself to pray. Now later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. So the disciples on the boat, now they are tossing and turning, and boats then are not boats like, like now, and so they were scared. Is the boat going to break? What's going on? Also, this is compounded by the fact that in, in Hebrew culture, waters, when they're written about, the waters were looked at as, as a representation of evil and the unknown and wickedness. So now, everything's against the disciples. That's compounding their fear at this point. And so, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. So, so this wickedness, this, this place of evil is producing something, and now they're freaking out. It's a ghost, they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So you see what's going on after being alone, after connecting with the Father, after, after being restored in his spirit, Jesus is now walking on the water. He is treading on top of, of wickedness and evil. He's putting it underfoot. He calms the storm to remind the disciples that, that he has the power over nature, over everything. And that came from his time alone of, of solitude. If you're a what-do-you-do person, if you get a sense of self, if you get built up from roles, you know, if you like being the boss, okay, if you like being in charge, then I, I would invite you that you need to be intentional about stillness. You need to be intentional about not having to solve all the problems, of not having to, to micromanage, of not being in control. A couple examples of this. One's found in Matthew chapter 17. This is the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus invited uh, Peter and James and John up to a mountain because he wanted to reveal a little bit more of himself to them and, and let them know what was going on. And so he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah. And so they're talking with Jesus and they're having a, a good time. And there's this great power being demonstrated before the, the three disciples that went there. But Peter is a doer, right? P Peter's a, a doer kind of person. And we can see that right here. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. God forced them to get still. But notice what the response to Jesus was. Instead of, instead of awe, instead of just wanting to, to be in the moment with Jesus, there was this idea of do. I got to prove my worth. I got to prove that I, it is right that I am here. And Peter even says that it's good that I'm here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something for you. Jesus needs me. So newsflash to all of us. Jesus doesn't need any of us. Amen. Okay? He wants us, Amen. but he doesn't, he doesn't need us. He loves us. Are you a do kind of person? There's another story in the Bible. Uh, it's, the it's the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is at their house, 
and uh, Martha is running around. She's trying, to, she's trying to make food. She's trying to get everything together. And her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so this angers Martha, right? Because Martha's like, I'm doing everything here. And so she wants a little help from Jesus. She says, Jesus, will you tell Mary to get her butt off the floor and start helping me so we can get things ready for you? And, and, and I'm sure Martha, because she's a doer, right? She's a doer. She's proving her worth. She's proving how much she matters to Jesus. I'm sure she was expecting Jesus to say, go, Mary. I'm going to sit here by myself and chill. But instead, what Jesus says to her is that Martha, you're worried about all these things. Mary has chosen the one thing that matters. She is still at the feet of Jesus. Stillness. Throwing off our grip on having to do things. If you're, a, if you're a have kind of person, what do you have? If you're results oriented, then I would say that you need to be intentional about entering into silence, okay? And, and learning how to, to be quiet and not have all the answers. And in Luke chapter five, it says, yet the news spread about him. This is Jesus all the more. So people are telling all their friends and their family that, that Jesus came and he's healing people of their sicknesses and he's casting out demons and he's doing all these miracles. And so again, it would have been easy for Jesus to, 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 to pursue this identity and what he has, right? He has, he has the cure. He has the path to, to righteousness. He does have the answers. And he could have, he could have started to, to see himself in that way. But when the word started to spread, Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So again, Jesus was silent. He did not he did not answer. He did not say, yes, I am. In fact, Jesus constantly told people, don't tell anybody who I am. Okay, keep this to yourself. He invited them to silence. So silence, solitude, stillness. Disciplines of abstinence. I think they're necessary disciplines for us to, 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 uh, to release our grip on how we answer the questions of our life, of the, the battle, the, the old nature versus the new nature that we fight every time we step out of the front door of our house into a world filled with, with noise and questions and lies and, and, and everything go, going on. So on a practical note, how do you practice this? Right? How, how, do, you, how do you enter in? And so Ecclesiastes in chapter 5 reads like this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. <coughs> the sacrifice of fools is your words. It's your talking. It's you trying to act like you're in charge of this relationship with God who do not know that they were wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Basically, shut it. And when you enter the house of God, when you, when you come before God, right? Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? In, in, in some respects, we are a house for God. So when we are entering his presence, we need to shut it. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. 
right? Because we want to go before God. We want to prove our wisdom. We want to talk. We want to give him all of our prayer requests and all the things that we need and all the things that we see going on. And, and, and yes, some of that is definitely necessary when we pray, but that's not the only facet of prayer and coming before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. That's a reminder of our station in life. Right? God is in heaven. We didn't create the earth. We didn't create the heavens. We didn't make everything God did. We are just here because he put us here. So let your words be few. Again, be humble because you didn't, you're not God. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. So if you are always talking and you're not stopping to listen, God considers that foolishness. So if you want to enter the presence of God, you've got to learn to do it not on your terms. You don't enter the presence of God blabbering on and on. God's not impressed by the, 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 the amount or the quality of our speech. And I think sometimes that we think God is silent, right? And, and, and I've, felt, I've felt that before. And we, we want an answer from God. And maybe we're praying diligently about something, whether it's a decision we have to make or something going on in our lives. And, and we, we tell people, I'm just not hearing from God. I just don't know what, what he wants from me. I don't know why this is happening. And, and the truth might be that you've not made any space to hear from God. Right? You just keep having a multitude of words. And so God might be up there looking for a space to, to edge in. Right? If, you, if you would just be quiet for a second, I could tell you a little something. Silence is recognizing when to say something and when not to. Like when, you're, when, when you're sitting with someone and you've got the, you've got the, you've got the urge to speak. Right? Have you ever been in the car? If you're married, you've been in the car and you're not saying anything. And sometimes you think, oh, this, this really stinks. And so you, you try to think of what, what can I possibly say right now? Because we've got this urge to fill the space instead of just enjoying the presence of each other. Amen. This is the way it is with, with God. Sometimes we have to just commit to being in his presence and letting him be in control. So my jar has been sitting here just for a few minutes and so it's an imperfect object lesson because I, I did try six different types of sand, believe it or not. A lot of effort went into this little jar, okay? But it is a lot clearer than it was. But I also think that the failure of my object lesson, there is something to learn. It shows that our silence and our stillness and solitude can't just be for a few minutes, right? We can't just enter into it for 60 seconds or, or two or three minutes at a time. If I leave this jar, because it was in my garage, if I leave this jar for three hours or so, it, the water will be perfectly clear. Sometimes we have to contend with all the little stuff, and we have to learn to push that aside in order to hear from God clearly. When we enter into silence or solitude or stillness, I know when I try to practice silence, my mind starts to fill up with my task list. Or my mind starts to fill up with the things that I did stupidly or when I offended somebody. And so I get these images coming and I, it becomes a discipline to say, I'm going to push that to the side, that none of that matters right now. I'm going to, I'm going to be quiet. Maybe I'll think about those, those things la later. Developing your interior quiet because your, your mind is going to want to remind you of all the names you call yourself because you have them, right? I have them, you have them. 
the, 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 the names we call ourselves, whether we think that we're, we're, we're stupid or whether we think that we're ugly or untalented, we have things that we revert to when we get under duress. All those things are going to come to the top. You have to have the discipline to remind yourself that God loves you despite all that. So my first bit of advice for you is you need to plan when you're going to be silent or still or alone. If you don't plan it, you won't do it. Okay, this is, this is a principle of all, all of our lives, right? I want to work out. I want to be buff. But I don't ever plan a time to go and to, to work out and to, and to get myself not looking like this, right? If I don't plan it, I won't do it. Spontaneously practicing things comes from experiencing them repeatedly, right? Because I marvel at people that just, they're sitting there like, you know what, I'm going to go for a five-mile run right now just because I want to, you know? Okay, that's, that's a fantastic pie-in-the-sky bit of perfection, but that's, that's not me because I don't practice it. Right? So I'm not going to spontaneously say, I'm going to go for a five-mile job. So if I don't practice solitude, then it's not just going to happen in my life. I have to be intentional. And just so, just so you know, I have been trying to practice what I preach here and, and make use of it. The time that I practice my solitude is when I get home from work. When I get home from work, I step in the door, I say hello to everybody that's home, and then I go and I, I've, got, I've got a room that I'm fortunate to have, and I just get alone for, for 20 or 30 minutes, and I practice my time of solitude. That is my time to do it. It's planned out. I won't do it if I don't plan it out. When can you plan this? Plan your time. Plan a place. Right? Know where you're going to go. Maybe you don't have an a, a extra room in your house, and you need to be a little more intentional about where you're going to go. Maybe you got to go out in the backyard. Maybe you, need to, maybe, maybe you need to go out into the garage or wherever. I, I'm, I'm not sure what the circumstance of your life is, but there, there is a place. You just have to plan it. Also, I know, I'm aware, I've been in that season of life. You're a parent. You got little kids, and you're thinking, because I know, I know the resistance is there. I can't do this. I got, I got nine kids running around making noise. How am I going to have solitude and silence? You've got to plan it. If it's important, if it's worth investing in, if, it, if you want to hear from God, then you can make an arrangement. Swap with somebody. Duct tape works. No, that is just a joke. Hey, that's a joke. Never duct taped a child before. But there are ways around it. It's just, do you want to find them? Find a position. I like, I like to lay on my back. Some people like to sit. Some people kneel. Sometimes I go for a walk when, to be alone because I like to hike. I like to watch the birds. It reminds me of how good God is. Find a position and then pray. And sometimes you're gonna sometimes you're gonna pray, you're gonna have your 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 list of things that you're hoping God'll do, and you're you're gonna praise him and you're gonna you're gonna go through all the ways that we learn to pray, but maybe it's just time to meditate on a scripture. Maybe it's time to just be quiet. Maybe it's time to do an examine of something that's causing you joy or grief uh, and, and understand what's at the root of it. If you, if you need resources on this, I have lots of resources. I have lots of ideas. I have worksheets. I can Just give me your email address, and I'll send you some stuff okay, to get you started on doing this. There's listening prayer where you're just trying to be quiet. You're trying to hear God's still, small voice. 
that, that is competing with the noise. Maybe you like to journal. I like to, I'm a verbal processor. I like to write things down. I find that God speaks to me when, when, when I do that. There's, there's lots of different things that you can do. It just depends how are you wired. Find the thing that works for the way that you are wired. How are you going to connect with God and be intentional about seek, seeking it? This takes discipline and practice. In fact, the first couple times you do it, it might feel totally awkward and you might hate it. And it's just one of those things that you've got to commit to, to a for a time. Because again, we are used to noise. We are used to, to hearing things. We're used to seeing things. And so when we take ourselves out of that, it, it feels unnatural almost. Solitude, silence, and stillness, they connect us to our source of strength for the challenges we face to our identity in Christ. I got one more verse to, to share with you because I want to show you that, that Jesus, he went through this same thing. I think I've got a verse to share with you. It's here somewhere. There it is. This is Matthew chapter 4. This is Jesus just after he's been baptized, just after the Spirit of God has landed on him in the form of a dove, after he heard God's voice from the heavens say, you are my son, with you I'm well pleased. Jesus was just affirmed. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what his purpose was. Immediately after this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and we think he fasted so that he would be weak. He fasted so that he would know where the source of his strength was. He was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are, and I want to stop there, because this is the battle for identity. This is the battle we face every day. We know we, we, know we belong to Jesus, right? We know we're disciples. But then we go and we're confronted by a world that says, well, if you're really a good disciple, why do you do this? Or if you really love God, why don't, why don't you do this? And so we're constantly experiencing these challenges. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So the first temptation is that there's this demand to do something. Jesus, if you really are, if your identity is the son of God, do this. I want to watch you do something. What do you do? Going to verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, again, a challenge to his identity. He said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So again, he's being tempted. If you really are, show me what you have. Because this is what, the, this is what your word says that, that you have. Prove it. Going down to verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, all the affirmation, all the accolades of the people of the world, if you will just bow down and worship me. A temptation for what do people think of you? Are they going to think of you as great and glorious, or are they just going to think of you as a lowly carpenter that's going to die soon? See, Jesus wasn't alone in that. He had, he had communed with God. He had practiced discipline, uh, the disciplines of abstinence so that he would have strength. In solitude, silence, and stillness, we stop making demands of God. 
we get to surrender. We get to practice humility. We get to enter into the relationship that says, God, you are everything. I am nothing. Everything that I am, I owe to you. And we get to embrace that. Solitude, silence, and surrender allow us to stop pretending that we are in control. Please pray with me. God, thank you so much that what you ask of us, Jesus has already done. That in Jesus, we have an image of who you are, and we also have an image of who we are in you. So God, thank you that you don't ask any more of us than you were willing to to do yourself. And God, I pray, I pray for all of us that as we're thinking about these disciplines of abstinence, and as we're confronted by the, the, the lies that we believe and the, the ways that we turn to develop a sense of wholeness apart from you, I pray that we would be convicted to let those things go, to release our grip on them, and to cling more fully to you. God, thank you that that is how we work out our salvation, and thank you that you never leave us or forsake us in that process. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning.